One of the least talked about victims of this pandemic so far has been farmers, particularly the local small-time farmer. We've already talked on this show about large farm operations. Just go back and listen to our episode with BPR reporter Cass Harrington. But we haven't dealt much with the small-town farmer. With restaurants shut down and farmers' markets drastically shrunk in their capacity, local farmers, particularly those just starting out, are really starting to feel a squeeze. But some of them are adapting and innovating, developing systems to make use of food that was already in the ground and already growing, but now lacks a destination. Nicole Del Cogliano is a farmer and teacher at the Organic Grower School's Farm Beginnings classes. They actually sponsored us for a bit last season, and they are a really great organization. They help aspiring farmers network and get the knowledge they need to develop functional systems in an industry with razor-thin margins and grueling hours. From Dirty Spoon Media in Asheville, it's Home Fried, stories to keep you informed and entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and today it's a conversation about Western North Carolina's local farmers with Nicole Del Cogliano. Yeah, I guess I, I'm always kind of like wearing two hats, you know, when I talk to people because I I have my own like personal farm. You know, my husband and I have Green Toe Ground Farm yeah. out here in, Yan- in Yancey County, and so um, I have that part of my life, which is pretty significant, and then I have my, you know, part where I'm supporting new and beginning farmers with my work with organic grower school. So mm-hmm. when this all s- kind of was starting to brew, I guess you would say, um, there was like two things happening in our lives. Of course, you know, we were planting seeds here at home and the greenhouse is getting going and just kind of starting to shift gears into that. And, um, and then I was in the process of wrapping up my farm beginnings class, which is the year long training I was referencing, um, to you in the email yeah. where I, w- I work with students, um, for a year that want to start or have beginning, uh, farm businesses. So like, you know, I was kind of positioning myself to be like, all right, shifting back into farm gear, kind of, uh, a little bit less support and active classes with my students and so when it when it became obvious that we were getting impacted like in you know that second week of March um like personally I felt a lot of scrambling because suddenly our markets were just like we're closed (laughs) and we don't know when, when we'll open and the restaurants are closed and so suddenly it was like no income streams seemed readily available you know in the next month so um I feel like the first two to three weeks was just a lot of figuring stuff out. And, you know, I feel pretty lucky because I've been farming here, you know, over 20 years. So I have really established networks and support. And I feel like the agricultural community, you know, small scale sustainable ag community in this area is pretty supportive of each other and and good at communicating and sharing. So, you know, it was like, like, So I personally was like, okay, what do I need to do to shift and pivot? And then at the same time, I was like having to, you know, in my doubt to fellow farmers and to to established farmers and to newer farmers, be like, you know, what do you need? What do you, what's, what's going on? And just kind of get folks connected. So, um, so like my work always overlaps in a way that's nice and sometimes a bit much with my personal farm business. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes yeah. like ah all farming all the time <laughs> um 
But in this situation, it was good because I was able to sort of use my position with Organic Grower School to reach out, you know, to farmer friends and colleagues and to my students in Farm Beginnings. And we started convening these virtual farmer calls once a week, Hmm. like I think in the second week of the lockdown. And so it was it was just a way to kind of get people together. We did it on Zoom. The first one, I think we had 40 people just to say, like, you know, some farms in our in my network or in my are, are already marketing because they sell in Charlotte and places like that. Um, so they were already in the midst of doing markets and having to figure out, you know, what to do. So it was a lot of just farmer to farmer sharing and yeah. trying to give people information. So that was like, I appreciate I like that part of my job. And then also it was useful for me as I was trying to figure out what to do, you know, as I'm gathering resources and disseminating them and hearing what other farmers are doing, it was helping me to kind of craft plans. Yeah, I think no. I lost you for a minute there on, on oh, sorry. the context of that. I guess um, to set that up a little, um, I wonder if you could talk a little about how this shutdown impacts farmers, because I think a lot of people yeah. think about are seeing these grocery stores packed with people and thinking, oh, you know, local produce must be doing great. But, (laughs) you know, I think that most people don't realize that's not the majority of farmers in their community that are being impacted by that. that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess what was interesting is that, so what I saw happening like in March, particularly, you know, as things got locked down and as people started, there was like this incredible amount of anxiety and fear that came up in, in the population is what I was observing. Um, and a feeling that there would be scarcity, um, of food. And so what I, what I saw and experienced, um, like myself and with my fellow farmers was this incredible increase demand, demand for food. Like, People's CSA share, CSA program, they, you know, they increased the number of shares they normally accept. Um, mm. They had waiting lists. People were emailing them and texting them. And, you know, so um, so that part happened. But also people wanted food. And, and it was also like it's it's March. Like there's a little bit. But like that's not, you know, we are planting seeds in January and February, usually for, uh, you know, late March or early April was is when the season really starts and that's just for some. So I think there was, um, it sort of illuminated the lack of awareness about what can grow locally right? and what does grow locally. And I think it was exciting to farmers to see the increase in demand and for me as well, but also it felt challenging to be like, yeah, I'm really excited. You want the food and I don't have it right now to give you, um, so what I personally did, and and this was super useful, and I think so. Other we don't do a CSA program. We used to, but uh, we haven't done one for almost ten years now. And so what we did, because we didn't want to overcommit ourselves as well, we off. I created an online store, which was a whole thing, um, and then I created a gift card mechanism. So people, it's kind of like a CSA because they're giving us some money up front, but then they can just use the credit on our online store. Hmm. And so what, what that did for me was give me a little chunk of money, which was awesome. It definitely was like a nice cushion because people were like, okay, I'll do the gift card 
and then I'll just buy all season yeah. and it doesn't have a time limit. So, you know, so I think what I saw with farmers in my world were that um, people that were established farmers, I, I think one thing, the, the distinction I'm seeing between established farmers and more new and beginning farmers is that established farmers obviously are a little bit more stable in terms of their customer base and their reputation um, and their standing in their markets. So for example, um, when markets had to shrink because they are going to space out their tents right. uh, for social distancing, newer farmers that are like day vendors or they're not market members, they're just at, they're just allowed certain dates. We're not given priority. Right. And so, um, and they don't have as much of an established reputation in the community. So they don't have these like big, you know, email lists or like many years of building a customer base. So um, I saw some challenges there. I saw established farmers a little bit um, more able to adapt, you know, their systems, um, especially farmers that have been doing CSAs for a while to do more, um, what's the word, um, tailored CSA boxes and things like that. They were able to kind of pivot their systems a little bit um, more quickly. And plus they already have more established labor systems in place. Hmm. Um but with the newer farmers, so a lot of them, they have done some really creative things and I have been really impressed. Um, but I think one of the challenges is that piece where they have a little bit less standing. Like it's already really hard enough. Like <laughs> farmers are already so close on the margins anyway. Right. And so all of this has just like something you said in one of your um, programs, I don't know if it it was one I listened to yesterday. I think it was when maybe when you were talking to Cass Harrington about the food system and yeah, and you know you were talking about how the food system is broken and in in many ways I really believe that the food system is designed to work the way it does. It's designed to disenfranchise. It's designed to have cheap labor in order for food to be available. Like it has always been designed like that. Yeah. And in with small scale sustainable ag You're breaking up here. You started talking about and the, 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 the sorry. Um you, you were saying that with small with small scale sustainable agriculture it's a, it's different. I guess you could start right there. Yeah, I mean in small scale sustainable ag like you know my students in farm beginnings and kind of what I teach them is essentially like they're trying to build farm businesses that don't repeat the model of exploitation. And so they're trying to uh, build farm businesses that pay fair wages, that pay themselves, um, that aren't exploitive. And yet they're still selling into the same system that all other farms are also selling into that do rely on this um, unfair and unreasonable uh, foundation, yeah. which is this kind of cheap... Um, cheap labor and all of that. So anyway, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but <laughs> I just was thinking like my farmers, you know, they're trying to be diligent and build businesses, but their margins are already really close. And then a pandemic I think has actually, it hasn't created new problems for farmers. It's just highlighted and magnified the ones that we have already, that we already have. Right. And I, I've, I've, you know, I wonder if you could speak too about, 
You mentioned earlier that having the restaurants shut down was a big impact. And that's got to be mm-hmm. something that affects especially up and coming farmers, because I'm sure they're mm-hmm. trying to build these relationships to help offset costs because they just have such a guaranteed purchasing power at restaurants. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for so for myself, um, the restaurants are about let me think of my numbers for a minute. They're like a third of our business right now. Yeah. And for a lot of new farmers, you're correct. The restaurant industry is almost in some situations a little bit easier to break into because, you know, you don't have to show up every week like you do at a market. You just tell them what you have and if they want to buy it, they do. So there's a lot more flexibility built into it and you get usually a premium price. Um, So yeah, what I have seen with a couple of my uh, graduates of Farm Beginnings is that, you know, they really had to use their social media networks and just, you know, one farm, <laughs> they do specialty mushrooms. They were like running all around Asheville, delivering to all these different places, like individual customers doing all these pop-ups. Like it, they were, and then they reduced their production because they were like, they had just doubled their production plan had just doubled for their production. And so they scaled back to what they were a year ago. And yet they're doing twice as much work in marketing and delivery. Um, So that was a huge impact. And then another farm, I know they also do a farmer's market. So in, in some ways they were able to pivot the product there, but you do plan differently for farmer for farmer's markets than you do for restaurants. Like there's certain specialty high end crops. Um, And Mm. so there's some, production planning changes that need to happen as well if you have a different marketing outlet. And so for myself personally, you know, um, I'm hoping to replace that income with on-farm sales. So, um, you know, we've been doing market about a month, but this coming week we'll be starting on-farm pickups. And then also I joined the Patchwork Alliance, which is a farmer cooperative online market that, it, it's not new. It's been around, but it's in a new, um, new iteration. Yeah. And, and so I'm hoping that through those two channels, potentially I can make up that income and then increase the market income um, because of the increased demand and seeming interest in local food right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of, what I'm seeing in terms of the restaurant, um, piece, you know, and I, I think a lot of the younger farmers has said to me as well that, um, the restaurant industry, it's a hard, um, it's a hard channel to completely rely on. I'll say there's a lot of variability in it, even more so than a farmer's market. Right. And that, and that's related to, um, seasonality, like if the weather's bad, then people aren't eating at the restaurant. So then your sales there are low and then your sales at market might be low because of bad weather. So they have some compounding negativities. And then also, um, you know, kind of the cuisine that's in um, style or whatever, or things that are more faddish are hard to, can be hard to keep up with. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's a lot of um, variability in it. And, so I think what I've heard some of the younger farmers say is that if they can create more of a local customer base, they would be excited to be less reliant on the marketing channel of restaurants um, to make their business a little more stable. Right. Yeah. 
You'd mentioned that you've seen some kind of success stories coming out of these students that are just still cropping mm-hmm. up. I'm wondering if you could speak to those a little sure. bit and how farmers are having to kind of innovate to figure out, sure. especially people that are just getting their footing. That's got to be a really tough time to just be breaking into this. Yeah. So um, some things I've seen that I've been, there's a couple of things. So one of the things that I think has been, that I see as a success and I'm sort of proud of is that the new and beginning farmers, um, particularly the graduates of farm beginnings, they have relied on the systems they have developed in their adaptive decision making. So, for example, if you're a new beginning farmer, but you don't keep records of what you um, seeded, you know, what you harvested last year, your succession planning, all that stuff. If, if you don't have a developed system for record keeping and then suddenly you need to change your production planning you're going to, it's going to be a lot harder. And so yeah, you can't really turn that on a dime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't have the system in place, you can't really adjust quickly. And so I've seen that my student, my graduates, they do have the developed systems. They do know what their cash flow is. They know what their income and expenses are. So they know, okay, in April, I usually make this or in March, in, in May, I usually make this and they know and they have systems in place in order to make informed decisions. So some of my graduates, they um, were not going to do CSA at all this year. They had done it. This is, I think they're entering their fourth year this year. And then when this happened and they lost a lot of their temporary spots at markets, they um, did choose to do a CSA and they did, they developed a little neighborhood CSA and did a home delivery and they said they would never have considered doing that beforehand. It just would have seemed like kind of ridiculous, but actually with they've been doing it now for all of April, they actually totally enjoy it. And it's so much less energy taxing than going to a farmer's market. They just drive around this neighborhood. It takes a couple hours. They put the boxes on the porch and it's done. And revenue wise, it seems like it's going to have the same capacity as a Saturday market. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. So like something like that, that they wouldn't have considered, they're really excited about. Um, So I've seen that. And I've also seen my students, um, you know, being able to pivot their production pretty quickly um, for for things that they had planned for restaurants that they then are deciding, okay, those crops aren't going to be as we don't need that volume for market. So we're going to shift that. Um, And also I've just seen them using uh, technology really well. Um, you know, I think we offer a lot of resources on how to do marketing and how to use the systems in place. And so I've, I've seen them be able to adapt to that as well. Hmm. And also um, the um, the networking piece, like one of the biggest things that I think is a strength of our farming community and particularly with Organic Grower School is like, when people want to farm or people are farming, one of the deep motivations for people to do this work is a sense of connection. And it could be connection with the land, but it really is connection with other people. Hmm. It's, it's something that I just see as a theme over and over in my classes. And so my students connected with older farmers. And so they are able to rely on those pieces as well during this time, which I think is critical 
because if all of us are just spinning our wheels individually, it, it's just not as strong. And so I'm, yeah. I'm seeing that as well as a real um, adaptable asset that, that they have those other farmers that they can talk to and connect with and share resources like where do I get this in this time? Like I need that. And and a lot of that is happening as well, which is super useful. Yeah. And I know that's something that you guys really rely on a lot at organic grower school is, is connecting experienced farmers with, with up and coming farmers and kind of developing a camaraderie among the farming community. And that's Mm -hmm. gotta be, you know, super valuable, especially now that all bets are off, you know, now that, uh, now that all the rugs been pulled out from under everyone, it's just a matter yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's huge. Like, you know, I'm seeing that in my work and in, in people talking to one another. I'm also doing that personally. You know, like I'm texting farmer friends and asking like, okay, where did you find, you know, like I didn't know where to get gloves. Like that's not something I ever have bought, you know, and so <laughs> right. finding out where to get that stuff or like, um, so one of the issues with like doing deliveries and stuff is you don't want to really reuse boxes. Mm-hmm. And so pe- so then every a lot of people have gone to using like paper grocery bags. And so then I personally was like, okay, I want to do that too. But then Uline wasn't accepting new customers because they have such an increased demand as well. Right. So then I was able to connect with a farmer that already had an account and then they bought them for me and then I paid them. So there's a lot of this informal things going on like that. Um, that can really help as so many of us are trying to not only just adapt production and marketing, but like how we harvest and wash and deliver our food. It's like on every level of what we are doing, we are having to change. And also still with all this uncertainty, like most people I know have kept their production plan the same because, you know, there's such a seemingly demand for food and, and with the supply chain disruptions um, you know, we don't want to plant less food. So, um, but we still have a lot of uncertainty, um, even with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine that that much uncertainty has to be scary, especially when it's a train that you have to start moving far, far in advance of the turn, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel, um, you know, I think one of the things that I've talked with other farmers about too, is like, you know, all of us have been talking for years and years about how local food is safer, it's fresher, it supports the local economy, it's like better in so many ways. And yet there's still a finite amount of people that, you know, support it or interested. And I think in this area, it's more than others. Yeah. And so we're we're hopeful that this, it's unfortunate that it's causing a crisis to maybe make people really begin to think about and understand how food gets to the supermarket or to wherever they procure it. Um, and so we're hoping that it sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm hearing that from other farmers as well. And I think it's unfortunate that a crisis has to magnify and make people think about where their food come from, comes from. And, you know, currently, you know, we don't have enough farmers in Western North Carolina to supply the food demand of the region. And so for me, mm. It, it magnifies the need for farmland preservation and for new farmers and supporting existing farmers and for creating new farmers. And I, I know I'm seeing, you know, all over the internet and stuff, uh, a, a renewed interest in gardening and people growing food. And I think that's a huge part of what organic grower school does in terms of empowering people to be more self-reliant 
And it's really important that programs like Farm Beginnings that help support new and beginning farmers to be successful and have adaptability and resilience in their business. That's even more important now than ever before, because I think I always knew we needed farmers and we continue to need them, but maybe now people out in the world are seeing that as well, that we really need to support um, the local economy and the production of local food because it does make us more adaptable and resilient in situations like this that really highlight how unstable um, the systems are that get people's food to them. Nicole Del Cagliano is the Farmer Programs Coordinator for the Organic Grower School. To find out more about the school and their upcoming semester of the Farm Beginnings course, head to organicgrowerschool.org. Home Fried is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, manages our website and marketing, and keeps our engines purring. To catch the latest season of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, be sure to tune into 103.7 WPVM the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. You can also catch up on back episodes of the show, stream any of our podcasts, check out the artwork from our contributing artists, or support us through our Patreon at our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. We'll be back with new episodes of Home Fried every Tuesday and Thursday, with occasional episodes on Saturdays. To subscribe, just search for The Dirty Spoon Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume on The Dirty Spoon. Be safe.